Hello everyone and welcome back. Today I am joined by Dr Phil Batty who is consultant in sport and exercise medicine at the newly opened Cleveland Clinic. So we'll get round to your, your latest uh, career move later on. Um, but Phil, do you want to tell me a bit about you, where you're from originally? Uh, well, hi. Um, hello everybody that's watching. Um, I was born in Lancaster and brought up around Lancaster, went to school uh, in Lancaster. And um, and I guess, you know, um, my childhood memories largely revolve around uh, going to Old Trafford with my dad, um, who sadly died when I was only 11. Um, so, but, you know, I've got many happy memories of um, of the Lancaster and Loon Valley area from, from where I spent my childhood. Right, okay. And then what was it about that childhood that made you want to get into this line of work in sports medicine? Well, I didn't really plan to come into sports medicine. I mean, there wasn't really a living to be made medically in sports medicine at that time. I always wanted to be a general practitioner and be a generalist and sort of, you know, embed in a sort of rural community and be part of that community. Um, that was always my ambition. My dad had said, you know, if he'd had his time again, he was a chartered surveyor, but if he'd had his time again, you know, he, he would have been interested in medicine because he felt, you know, that that could lead to travel all over the world, which um, he, he didn't do professionally. And, you know, via sport, I've, I've managed to do that rather by accident than design. Um, so, yeah, initially I went into um, I went to um, Liverpool University, which is an interesting place to be in the um, 80s when. Uh, when you're a Manchester United supporter and um, Liverpool are winning everything, and uh, but I had you know it's a great city that I love, um, and uh, had a wonderful time there. Then did my GP training um, around Chester and North Wales, and then you know the practice it was by accident again rather than design. I ended up in a semi-rural practice around Lancaster where I was born. So seeing people that I'd actually known of as a kid, you know girlfriend's parents were patients and former teachers were patients and um so gp was um was my um goal i always knew that there would need to be some other side interest to gp and um i sort of initially that was occupational health and um and then you know opportunities started to appear in sport but when I started in when I started in uh, in football back in '96 at Manchester United, I was the number two. Mike Stone had just been appointed the number one, and you know he was working pretty much full time in general practice, and he would go in the club on a Monday morning and a Friday morning, and he'd only be um, present at home games and and away European games, and that was it. That was the limit. You know, if, if, if all you're doing is two, possibly three sessions a week, you're really not going to be paying a mortgage on that. So there really was no significant money for doctors in football at that time. And so how was it for you then? Like, How did you get your opportunity to, to work at that time? And if there wasn't really a full time thing for, for the full time, well, the, the, the main doctor. So, yeah, it, I'm a bit of a fraud, to be honest with you. It was a bit of an administrative mistake, really, because um, uh, it started off because when my son was born back in 93, the sort of romantic in me sort of had my dad in mind in Manchester United. And I hadn't 
I'd very rarely been to Manchester United since then and getting tickets was almost impossible. Certainly there was a massive waiting list for season tickets. So, uh, but you could join Manchester United as a member. So I thought I'd, I'd let him join as a member. I'd, I'd put him forward to join as a member. And basically, you know, you got a couple of freebies, a mag every quarter and that was it. And that was that was the plan. And And for some reason... A few months later, this letter came through to him, and he was about he was about twelve months old at this stage, saying, "Dear Mr. Batty, your application for a season ticket at Manchester United has been successful. You know, send us a check." And I thought I hadn't applied for a season ticket, but hey, whoa, this is um, this is a bit unusual. And um, and so I uh, I sent off the check, thinking they're going to find me out anyway. I ended up with a season ticket. And my wife, you know, Joanne, has been incredibly supportive. And she knew I was working hard. GP then, you were working long hours. You had to do your own on-call overnight, you know, um, weekends and things. So uh, with the support of my partners in the practice um, and what have you. So I'd, I'd go to United Games, home games, and that would be my sort of little escape, if you will. And I saw in a programme that it, um, the former club doctor had, had retired and that Mike Stone had... Uh, had taken over as the team doctor and 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 the name Mike Edelson was there he, as he was the director for um responsible for medical matters. So I thought, oh, I've got a name. I'll write a letter and I'll just send off a CV because I'd, I'd done a bit of sports medicine, but not much. And so I sent off a CV thinking I might end up sort of doing a crowd doctor type thing or something of that nature. And anyway, you know, they pulled me forward to a, to an interview and and I had an interview and um and ended up sort of being the sort of number two doctor, which was covering A and B team games at home before there was the academy structure there is now. And um, um, games at the cliff and, you know, working with, you know, great people like Dave Fever, uh, who I've worked with for a long time. And um, and it sort of happened like that. So I was a bit, I was, I was a very capable and able GP when I went into it, but I, I sort of my sports medicine knowledge uh, needed certainly a brush up um, and with the help of a number of courses, but particular Dave and, you know, Rob Swire and the team that were at Manchester United, um, that sort of gave me a sort of part-time foot in the door whilst working, um, but it was very part-time. It would be an occasional Wednesday afternoon and, you know, alternate or maybe two out of three Saturday mornings. It was very, very part-time. And, um, and I was paid £50. For each, uh, for each, uh, for each session, and that was it. And what was it like going into Man United at that point? They're in their, well, on the, in their absolute peak, really. So, what was it like going into that environment as a Man U fan? Oh, it was, um, it, it was sort of incredible for me. I was seeing sort of, obviously, people that were heroes, but trying to be normal and not appear excited, or you know, like a kid. Um, as, as, as you can do so no it was great you know um Charlotte Ferguson was was incredible um as was Brian Kidd um who was the number two at the time and um and seeing all these young evolving players that you know obviously went on to great things uh, was amazing so that period from 96 to 99 was um was incredible and I left just with Dave to go to Blackburn. Um, that was my opportunity to be the sort of number one. And then effectively from that point, I was half time, 
um, at Blackburn and then cut my GP to sort of 40, 45% of the time. Um, and we, we both left and resigned, you know, a day or two after they'd won the Champions League because um, we'd been in discussions with Blackburn, who had just been relegated. Um, so um, then moved on to Blackburn Rovers. So do you think as soon as you got that role with um, Manchester United, you thought that your days of being full-time GP was pretty much... How, how long did it take to think, actually, no, I really do want to be working in this environment for, for as much as I can? Well... It was always a gamble because, you know, it's quite, particularly then, um, it's quite nice in, in, in working in the NHS. It's secure. It's safe. It's a job for life. It's got a great pension, you know, so you're secure. So leaving, and in fact, one of my, um, one of my former girlfriend's father, who was a patient and a consultant radiologist, when he heard that I was, you know, subsequently... Um, leaving he he really said what are you doing you're making the biggest mistake of your life here you've got great practice here you've got good colleagues you, you, you're sorted you know what are you doing um i think i also well I'll, I'll hedge my bets to start off with again there weren't that many opportunities so from sort of 99 to 2003 i sort of did the sort of you know, 50 to six to 55% Blackburn Rovers and sort of 45% GP, you know, thinking, well, if it goes pear-shaped, then I can end up going back into GP at that stage. And then I thought in, um, in 2003, the English Institute of Sports started taking off and they were offering some sessions at Manchester. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to work with a whole range of sports and leave general practice. So in 2003 um, was the time when I thought, right, okay, I'm going to take the plunge here. I'm going to have faith in this and um, and give it a whirl. And, you know, if push comes to shove, um, we'll see where we go. But that's when, uh, which again, you know, was, you know, my wife was very supportive, but I did that at a stage where, you know, I got children, young children uh, between six and 10, three kids, um mortgage to pay all those sorts of things um uh, so it was it was inevitably a, a risk um from a financial perspective at that time um and so you know it was 2003 that i thought that's the situation and then you know other curveballs which we may talk about sort of happened to sort of um alter my plan and so did you ever feel that, because you've got the, you've got the GP role, but did you ever feel that when you started taking these other roles in sport that you were insecure, there's potential for you to lose your job there? Uh, yeah, no, uh, the vagaries of sport, you know, I, I knew that. I mean, God bless him. When I went to, when I went to um, Blackburn, obviously Jack Walker was the owner. Um, and you're thinking, well, Jack's an old man. He's financed Blackburn Rovers. It's spectacular, but he's not going to be around forever. And within 18 months, well, I think, I think, you know, I thought through uh, what happens if Brian Kidd gets the sack? What's that going to mean for me job-wise? What happens if Jack Walker passes away? And, you know, and there isn't the commitment to the club. Um, what if? Those are the what ifs. And basically within about 12 months, both had happened. Um, so, you know, it was always going to be a risk. I was very mindful of it. 
Mm. And then, so making that move then to go into being the the lead doctor, how did you find that transition? It was, um, it was well, it was, it was, it was good because it meant I had more time, so I could feel my way into it and get to know the players better. But I had incredible support from Dave because obviously he was far more experienced than me. So having Dave um, there to sort of bounce stuff off um, was was you know invaluable really um and also you know the club had a, an existing relationship with a consultant orthopedic surgeon called john hodgkinson who was very much the club orthopedic surgeon and john was just a dream to work with again to sort of have that support and bounce things off and learn from people and um you know was i felt you know i felt i felt we were a team and so collectively we could we could deal with it Mm. And then, so as you and Dave moved at the same time, then was that something that you would discuss, or was it like a coincidence that Brian Kidd got you both together? No, no, it was. It was sort of um, uh, Brian, uh, you know, had decided to get Dave, and and the doctor was retiring, and so he said, "Look, we need a doctor," and, and Dave very kindly recommended me. Um, so basically, we we both sorted it out at the same time. So right. it was. And I think we finalised the contract. Um, we both sorted it out, you know, similar. Dave signed up first and then I met with, with um, I'd obviously known Kiddo from uh, from United, but then I met with um, John Williams, who was the chief exec at the time, and uh, Tom Finney was the finance director and, and sort of went through um, uh, the process at, at Blackburn and um, had some interviews um and was appointed basically on, on Dave and Kiddo's recommendation. Mm. And what was it like? I'm sure we'll come back to this at some point as well, but when you were working with legendary people like Sir Alex Ferguson and Brian Kitt, what's it like when you're interacting with them? Is it on a daily basis? Like how do you find working with those type of people? Well, Sir Alex, I didn't have that much interaction with. There'd be bits, bits, but it would be quite remote. Um but you know, we, um, but, you know, what a leader. And then with all managers, really, um, you, you're usually interacting with them when you're in the club on a daily basis about, you know, various issues. Mm. Yeah. And then, so the EIS role that came up, you were doing that at the same time. Is that the cut down your GP duties? I, I left GP in 2003. And uh, and went and and sort of did you know my mornings at Blackburn Road was finished at sort of lunchtime and then uh, and then I'd do four sessions then I'd hop in my car and drive up to Manchester um, and do four sessions a week or for the English Institute of Sport um, working across all sorts of sports people but with with greater emphasis on squash um, disability uh, swimming. And wheelchair rugby; those were those were um, sort of the the main things that I was dealing with when I was um, at the English Institute of Sport. But it was in in its genesis, so it was very very quiet to start off with. And then, how do you find that? So you've you've been dealing with well, obviously general practice, but then you're going into football, so you've got some good experience there. But then, when you're going into such a multi-sport centre, even though it is limited in terms of the, uh, the the specifics that you just said there, but how do you find that when you're looking at the, the whole body, so to speak? Well, I think um, 
I think if you follow your normal structures, you can you can you can get quite a long way. And if you if you've learned your craft, and you know, for me, that craft is taking a good history, listening to patients. And usually if you do that well, the patient will tell you what's wrong with them. You know, for the most part, you can get a real good sense of what's wrong with them. And then if you've got a good sort of system of clinical examination um, and you go through that process, and then you again sort of might feel about certain investigations, but, you know, you try and involve the athlete or patient in their management and decision-making and explore what their worries are, um, that will take you a very, very long way, a very long way. So ultimately, then it's about, you know, teasing it out. So if you've got those um, fundamentals right, um, then you can layer onto it and with various experience, you know, and obviously I've been around a long time now, so I've seen a lot of things. So you can, you can, you can recall um, your own patient experience you can recall articles you've read you can recall conference presentations um, so ultimately or you can phone a friend and, and and chat to people so ultimately there's always there's always a way um, in the end you, but also you may not be able to make a decision straight away because you might not have sufficient information but you know there is a way if you follow your structure and you trust your structure, which is, I think, where I got to in terms of, and I think that was one of the great benefits of, of spending some time in general practice before I worked in, went into sport. Mm. Now you mentioned about speaking to other people. How strong was the network? And then the kind of second part to that, the, the genesis of sports medicine, the development, was that really starting to grow at that early 2000s period? Yeah, it was. I mean, EIS had started off um, and then it sort of grew more towards the sort of late um, noughties because with the Olympic bid for 2012, there was part of the legacy that the country would create a new specialty, a new medical specialty of sport and exercise medicine, which there hadn't been before 2008. So that really um, meant that because in, 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 in medicine, you were either on the GP register, which I was, or you're on the specialist register, which is where most hospital doctors are. And this became a medical specialty. Um, and there were NHS training programs. So there were trainees starting. And, um, and then those of us that had been around for a long time were sort of starting to put in applications and submit documents and it took me about three years and 1400 pages of evidence to submit to get on the specialist register so um it started to take off then because prior to that it hadn't been a recognized specialty you did it as um you know you either came from a gp background or perhaps an a e background or rheumatology background um and you sort of did it as an interest as a sort of um side to your main job Mm. And then, so how you mentioned earlier on about being able to speak to other of your peers about things. Is that how common did that happen? How frequently did that happen when you were at EIS and within sport as well? Well, EIS, it happened quite a bit because we'd sort of often have case conferences and talk about things of that nature, which is quite interesting because 
one of the problems of uh, being a doctor in sport is that you know if you're working for a club you are very isolated from your peers very isolated you're not working in a sort of you're not even working in a medical environment with a sort of medical governance culture it's very different so um you can get a little bit isolated from issues so it was it was good to sort of network at eis i'd always felt that i'd got a good network of um through you know radiologists and uh, dave and the and the physio team at blackburn and and john hodgkinson and the consultants who were writington so i was always able to um network there but less so with like-minded sports physicians um until the EIS really started. And so is that just because that's not got that team um, sort of tribalism, I guess? Is that easy, easier to do it in that environment? Well, there just weren't that many people around that were sports medicine doctors of experience. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you're at Blackburn, and how long did you do those jobs together then, Blackburn and EIS? So I... Probably only for uh, around 12 months, because in 2004, um, hit a curveball. Um, I've got three children, a son and two daughters, and my daughter, who was eight at the time, had a brain tumour. And, um, and so that set a whole new um, set of problems. She's fine now. She's, um, she, she's 26 now, and... and 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 well but it was it was a it was a challenging time and so um i sort of took time off from eis and continued to drop into blackburn rovers take my other kids to school go into blackburn rovers and then go and then go back to pick up my kids from school and then go and visit my daughter and um and my wife in in older hay um so that was a challenging time and the support I had from Blackburn, from John Williams, Graham Souness, Dave and Paul at that time, Paul Kelly, um, was really incredibly supportive. But um, it threw up a whole a set of educational issues and challenges with, you know, not attractive support for Anna. And, you know, we weren't sure if she was left-handed or right-handed after the operation. There was a lot of rehab involved in terms of getting it to walk again and, and various things. So um, I left the EIS and, and came to an agreement with a, a, an independent school um, with a great sporting her heritage in, in Cumbria called Sedba School. So I, I sort of then combined which, um, so I then combined my job at Blackburn Rovers with the school job um, as the school doctor. And it was a small, single-handed, limited list NHS practice, but it had, I didn't realise at the time, but it had, you know, an immense sporting curriculum with lots of sports injuries and lots of real um, challenges. So that was another area of real learning for me um, based on, you know, patients and case mix. Um, and so I, I sort of combined the two. Um, so I was back doing some GP um, technically, although it was a largely a, a sports injury practice but there was lots of gp stuff as well and i combined that and you know that was a really happy mix for some time that that sort of went from 2004 
to really 2011. Um, and they were they were they were really really happy times. Mm. So uh, that obviously would be terrible time with your daughter. Like, how did you find it being a, a, a doctor yourself? Is that a kind of blessing or a curse when you, uh, you you've you've got that particular condition that she's experiencing? Bit of both, really. I think I think we got it as quickly as we could have done because you know I, I was informed that often um for children around that time you know it would take eight or nine different consultations with different doctors over a period of years for the diagnosis to be made so we we got it as quickly i think as we could have and um and again you know with my medical colleagues there was a bit of denial and you know um resistance to the prospect that it could be something of this nature initially so it was you know I had to hold my head and just trust my judgment in that sense um so from diagnosis perspective it was a great help from um and then um and then yeah I think I think I think it was overall helpful to be able to engage with neurosurgeons and people of that nature from a, a medical perspective we could sort of cut the niceties out and get straight to the language if you know what i'm if if, if yeah. that sense. you know we didn't it didn't have to sort of be a soft you know as you would do with people it was we could have a um a dispassionate conversation and um you know, and they could speak to me in strong words, and I could speak to them in strong words. If you know, if, if I wasn't happy with one or two things, so, um, so from that perspective, it it worked quite well, I think. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad she's uh, she's better now. That's that's great news. And then, so that you were there for that school for for quite a long time. What happened after? Was it around Man City time that that happened? That so, so yeah, it, it sort of got. Um, it all sort of became a little. Blackburn was great and it was such a family club um, and I loved it. And I'd had, you know, I'm fortunate that one or two people had approached me over the years to say, would I be interested in change? And I just was not interested. It was just such a great team, great setup. We were sort of, you know, overachieving on a number of things, qualifying for Europe. You know, we won the League Cup. You know, we did some stuff that was... Um, and you know this was in spite of sadly losing Jack and and the financial support dropping. So everybody was on the same page. It was such a great club um, that I wasn't really interested. And that balance, I, I essentially saw myself doing that balance of um, school and and Blackburn for as long as possible. And then um, another change happened that um, the club was sold from the Jack Walker Trust. Um, to the Venkis and and then some rather strange decisions started to be made and um, some very good people were um, removed from the club and it, it all got a little bit chaotic and I thought at the time well this I don't want to hang around um, you know I applaud those that did hang around but I did I didn't want to hang around and think and try and compare it to um, what it was and just be sort of well in the good old days so i thought that's fine the club's moved on now it's got new owners 
we'll see if there's any new opportunities and um and an opportunity came um up at manchester city and i was approached by the headhunters uh, as to whether i would throw my hat in the ring and um and i decided to do so and um after seven interviews um it was a long process um i was fortunate to get that role so seven interviews yeah 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 including headhunters and stuff all the way through the process was seven interviews wow yeah i remember that time because we had some involvement on some some um the, the fit out of the the well carrington basically as was at that time but what was that like for you going through that was, well seven interviews i'm intrigued to hear a bit more about that but it seemed a little bit chaotic from the outside it's like we've got this money what what do we do with it how do we implement this uh there's there's some yeah there's some great people at, at, at city it was obviously the the culture was having to change from you know them not being that successful over the previous 20 years or so to to having that opportunity so it, it was i mean i think i think I think the strangest thing was was being a Manchester United fan and working for Manchester City. That was a strange thing. And I, I remember, I remember the first game, the first competitive game was the Community Shield at Wembley. And I came out of the tunnel in my Man City gear, and I saw about three or four of my old Manchester United muckers. Um, in Man United tracksuit, sort of waiting for me at the end of the of the tunnel are there, arms crossed, arms folded, sort of tut-tutting me. So and, and they said, we never thought we'd see the day. <laughs> and I said to them, neither did I to be honest with you. But um but no it was it was yeah uh, it was it was there's some great people there. It was it was exciting it was a roller coaster it was it was everything so yeah i know you're joking in terms of that aspect of it but then at the end of that season is one of the most iconic premier league um things isn't it with the aguero goal so how was that for you then as a massive man U fan literally that goal lost you oh, yeah no i i wanted to win i wanted to win i know it was either us or or, or united but when you're embedded and when you're when you're working with those people, um, you're in them day in day out. You you know what have you? You you you, you get an emotional attachment to um, to the people that you're working with. So it's in, inevitable. It was it was again. It was crazy. It was crazy. Mm. And just in terms of the teams, then. So you've worked with some of the most successful teams, and not uh, Blackburn, not quite as the, the level of City and United at those times. But do you see much in terms of the mindset from management and players? Do, do you see a difference in that? And even from some of the other athletes that you've worked with from AIS or cricket or ballet or, or, or whatever? Oh, yeah, I think I think there is a winning mindset, um, undoubtedly, and it's uncompromising. You know, it is about um, pushing yourself and those around you to do their very best and to be their very best um and it is uncompromising i mean winning is difficult so you can you can sense that and you know i've worked for other organizations um where i you know i haven't sensed quite that 
absolute commitment to be the best that one can possibly be. And do you adapt your style for that? Obviously, there from the medical side of things, but there's a lot of that personal relationships as well. How how do you have to manage the way that you deliver things to to different those different personality types? Oh yeah, you have to be adaptable, and you know it changes from my roles now are very much as a consultancy. So I'll I'll see people either at the clinic or I'll pop along to um, to, to to games and see them there. But I, I'm not embedded sitting, working with those people every day, you know, traveling with them all the time. You know, the relationship's much more hand, you know, at arm's length in some ways. So um, you don't know them as, as well. Um, you do try and get to know them over a period of time, but, um, but it takes a little bit longer than, you know, in football. For example, in football, you start off usually getting to know them when, when either because you've known them for a little while as they've come through the academy or you're the doctor that's doing the medical for them when they, when they sign. So you get to spend a day with them going through the medical um, and you get to know them very quickly. Mm. Yeah, that medical always find intriguing as to the dynamic of it. It's always seen as that pass or fail, but from other people that you're speaking to, it's, it's more of like a, uh, an analysis on what's thing, what things are to be considered um, if if the club want to sign them, yeah, I've never I've never ascribed to the pass fail. Um, it's a risk assessment. It's a risk assessment, and you go through and score whether this is, uh, you know, a high risk, medium risk, or low risk. You know, depending on on the player, um, and then all sorts of things come into whether whether you know that decision is finally made to buy the player that. That can include, you know, how much it costs, you know, the value, what other player backup they've got. There's, you know, that's for a board of directors to to decide. But for me, it, it's simply a risk assessment. Mm. So, and then in terms of moving into more of that consultancy role, was that a conscious decision that you didn't want to be in, say, football full time anymore, or was it just that you the different roles came up that, that were interest of interest to you? Uh, well, I left Manchester City and then was the England rugby doctor for a couple of years. So that was, um, you know, that was largely um, um, almost full time again. W one of the issues, if you are involved in sport, is you actually don't see that many injuries. I worry that I was going to become de-skilled. Because in football, for example, you'll probably a team will have possibly first team reserve, they'll possibly have 50 injuries a year. And of those, some of them don't even need to see a doctor. There might be a minor muscle strain or there might be a bit of an ankle strain or something of that nature that in any other walk of life wouldn't really see a doctor. <clears throat> so, you know, uh, and you might see an ACL every two years. And it's not massive patient exposure. So I've always made a conscious decision to work in a club and see and get my patient numbers up outside of a club so that I'm continuing to maintain my skills. At City, I was immersed in it for probably 15 months and really couldn't do that, um, which, which sort of made me feel a bit vulnerable. When, when I went into rugby i thought right okay i'll do four days of rugby and i'll do 
one day a week and I'd, I'd made arrangements with with ice kinetic in london to do a day of um clinic for them to just you know because i would see more in a day really than i would in a month um from from the from the rest of my work um so it was it was important for me to sort of maintain my skills um that i continued the patient exposure so i've always been mindful of that and i always knew that you know there there are there's a time in your and a place in your life for various things and i've been incredibly lucky in sport but you reach a point where you've got to sort of transition a little bit um and let younger people come through that possibly got more energy than me now in certain situations um so i always knew that i would have to you know transition out um i'm just i've been incredibly lucky how i've managed to do that so for that, for that role at england rugby and for ice kinetic then so that's is that right that it was your first job outside the northwest of, of this nature yeah it was it was um i'd left i'd left uh, manchester city and i sort of then got asked to um apply for the england rugby job and um and was thrilled to get that um and it's 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 a great i mean matches are incredible it's a great job um i think for a period of time so during the um the tournament phases you know so the six nations um the summer tour and i toured new zealand and argentina with them and the autumn series you're pretty much full on with the team in camp you know working 16 18 hour days um with a team of three physios and a couple of masseurs just going through things um in that sense but if somebody gets injured in camp you know and you're at penny hill park or wherever and the the it, it's a significant injury you end up returning them to the club for major treatment so that's slightly dissatisfying in terms of patient ongoing patient management from a purely professional viewpoint so that's pretty intensive and then the rest of the time which is obviously a significant amount of the year you are tracking players injuries you know seeing who picks up uh, from the england squad seeing who picks up injuries from the weekend games ringing the clubs and then getting out to sort of see the player if needs be so you are all over the country you know um you could be in exeter one day then newcastle and the rest and there's only a certain amount of time that you sort of want to be traveling on the motorways and on trains and going around the country like some um uh, in that manner so um that was the less attractive part of the job for sure so is that why you ended up leaving there then uh partly and and i i i had a sixth sense sadly um i had a sixth sense about um uh there were a few family things coming up and i knew that with the world cup in 2015 which was a home world cup i have the feeling that we weren't going to do terribly well and sadly we didn't um and i um i thought at the time well i either immerse myself in this and it will be you know i'll be away from home for a long period of time with the build-up to the world cup etc and the world cup and there were family weddings and things of that nature and i thought 
well, okay, I'll do that if I'm pretty confident we're going to do really, really well. But I had this sort of sixth sense that um, that we might not do so well. And the opportunity arose to be um, medical director at um, Isaac Kinetic at that time that we're just opening in, in London. And so I, I took a view and, um, and decided to, uh, to go to Isaac Kinetic. So for that sort of role, that does seem a very different role. Like, what, what do you, for one, why do you think you were a good fit for them? And why was that something that you wanted to, to do at that point? For Isokinetic? Mm. Um, I'd never worked significantly in private practice in London before. Um, I met them, um, Stefano De La Villa and Marco De La Villa and, uh, and Mike Davison. And really liked what they did and really admired what they set up and with a very similar culture to um to myself in terms of practice that you know exercise and, and intensive exercise with you know the supervision of good physiotherapists will get most things better will get most things better when it doesn't it's often because the physio hasn't been intense enough or the exercise hasn't been intensive enough. And, um, and you know, so I really admired that philosophy, which was trying to bring the sort of rehab uh, physiotherapy um, lessons from elite sport and Stefano's previous experience in, in football and bringing it to um, the, the wider population, albeit in the private sector, in London. And was that when you went in there then, was that something that you found was a good next step for you out of elite sports? Yes, I did. Um, it was a new challenge. Um, you do see, you know, and basically 90% of patients are just general public um, that you're offering your experience to. Um, and then about 10% end up being professional athletes of one form or another but yeah it was it was <coughs> excuse me <coughs> it was um it was a good fit and a good way for me to get into london and see if i could you know hack it in london and whether london would accept me um this northern oik well i mean that is it i mean i'm I, we're based in manchester i'm from the northwest as well but i love going to london every time but it's a completely different world down there. Like, how did you find that transition? It is different. I mean, it's an it's a major international uh, city. So, you know, a vast, in some ways, a bit like football. You know, the majority of your the players that you are seeing are not English. Um, they're from all over the world. So, yeah, about forty percent might be English or forty-five percent, but. They are literally from all over the world. So understanding their cultures, understanding, you know, their 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 history, but also networking internationally with with some of the other um, centres around the world, um, people that I was I've been lucky to get to know through um, the Iskinetic Conference um, and through introductions, you know, that was was really really helpful. Mm. And then uh, you had roles at the English National Ballet and and still doing some work in cricket, if that's correct. How, how did those roles come about? Again, they largely sort of evolved out of the Iskinetic role, really. I started seeing some ballet dancers uh, from the English National Ballet and um, 
and uh, and then subsequently, um, uh, Andy Reynolds, who's an excellent physio and used to work at Harlequin, so I've known Andy for a long time. Um, he took over the head of medical at the English National Ballet, and um, and we sort of formalised a little, a little bit more. Um, and so you know, it evolved from that. But again, you know, fascinating to work in with those athletes and they are athletes and they you know they know how to crack on and and perform through pain like no other set of sports people i think i've ever come across even more so than the rugby guys mm. yeah yeah they're tough they're it's tough. an incredible facility isn't it their new center yeah. gave me a tour a couple well before covid but yeah amazing facility yeah it is it is um it is it is an incredible facility yeah so after isokinetic what happened with your uh, move on from there well um yeah i uh, i cleveland clinic um is an organization that i've um largely been attracted to for many many years i mean it's public knowledge but i took a high profile football um manager out there um for a uh, a problem back in in the year 2000 um and i went over to cleveland clinic ohio and, and i thought well wow 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 this is how it should be i would love to work for an organization like this someday but it'll never happen and um cleveland clinic um have come to london um they have been developing their um services in london and uh, they opened their cleveland clinic london hospital um actually today um 29th of march and um we've we've had the outpatient facility open for um since september but it is a state-of-the-art investment in in health with um incredible people incredible technology it is an incredible investment and uh, and certainly such an exciting proposition that when i um I'd always thought, mm, whilst this was being developed, would there be an opportunity for me? And um, an opportunity arose, um, and I'd made the decision to to move on from isokinetic, um, hoping that something like this would would um, would come about. Because I, I sort of I'm in the last ten years of my career for sure, and and I want this to be the high, um, and so. Um, I'm incredibly fortunate to be working for such a special organization with, you know, incredible people. Um, really, I'm very fortunate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to, to visiting there, hopefully in the not too distant future. But yeah, I heard great things about the organization. You see a lot of the uh, their websites, one of the most visited, I think, in the world, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, it, it is. I mean, we, we will, the, the complexity of, the project is 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 such that inevitably there's going to be one or two teething problems. But um, but you know, getting used to the computer and IT systems, it's a whole new challenge for me, um, which I'm just really loving and um, and really really enjoying. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing my first um, clinic in the hospital itself on uh, in a couple of days' time, um, which will be my first clinic there. Um, and to have the state-of-the-art facilities, all the medical specialists, to be working with, you know, 
great people from that perspective. I feel like I've I've suddenly become almost a bit credible, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this jobbing guy that's gone from one to another, I feel I've, I've, I've finally found a place where uh, if I can just wing it a bit longer, I'll be uh, I'll be seen as credible. <laughs> no, good luck, good luck with the start of that one. And then I did read on uh, one of your bios that you you're interested, like like reading books to relax and so on. So I'm just intrigued to find out what sort of books you read. Is it like a fictional stuff? Is it self development? What sort of things? But both really, both really. Um, I've I've spent. Um, a range of things really. I've, I've spent a lot of time um, over the last two years, I think, reading um, more history, particularly related to the Black Lives Matter issues and some of those, really trying to understand um, some of the issues that occurred there. Obviously, it was, um, it was highlighted by the murder of George Floyd, uh, but I'm, 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 you know, and I'm very mindful of the tragic death of Derlian Atkinson, though. I'm very mindful of that. So I've spent quite a lot of time um, reading about um, some of the diversity issues and some of the issues. I'm, I've just got, um, I'm about to start Michael Holding's book. Um, uh, and he obviously gave a very articulate um view around this uh, live in a in a rain delayed um match um he gave an articulate view on sky sports um but his book um why we kneel and how we rise uh, i'm very much looking forward to reading that so um those are some of the issues that i'm reading with at the bar. and occasionally i like a nice novel a nice murder mystery a bit of something like that um James Patterson or or Harlan Coburn or things of that nature. Um, I I enjoy. Yeah, good to switch off to some of those ones, isn't it? Page turners. Yeah, no, no, it is. You can just immerse yourself in those and find yourself in a completely different world. Well, yeah, I think I've read pretty much every Jack Reacher, and I, I think I'm reading one now, which I'm sure I've read it before, but I can't tell because they all kind of uh, they all interchange, don't they? Yeah, they do, they do. But yeah, no, again, very good. Uh, yeah, very good. And actually, it was quite a good series on on uh, Netflix. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, I've just finished that. No, that was uh, yeah. that was good. Very good. Good. Great to switch off. Not that highbrow, but you don't always need that, do you? So. Oh God, no, 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 no. I'm not sure that I've ever been highbrow, but <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, no, I agree. And then last question. Are there any particular moments in like your long and uh, very experienced career that like, particularly stand out as being some of the best? Um, I think um, in terms of professional career, probably in order, I would say getting promotion with Blackburn, that was a great, you know, achievement in some ways. And we'd lost, Jack had died that year. So um, we managed to clinch it and get second place behind Fulham um, with a sort of bit of a scabby result at Preston, away at Preston, which is obviously a local derby. That was that was fantastic. Winning the um, 
uh, winning the League Cup, you know, back um, at it was it wasn't at Wembley then because Wembley was being redeveloped, but um, beating Tottenham uh, at the Millennium Stadium was was a fantastic um, feeling. Obviously, winning the league and Aguero's goal going in—I mean, that whole season was um, managing to catch Man United because they were quite ahead of us for some. You know, there was—I think at one point they were eight points ahead of us. Um, but to to just you know pull that off um, was an incredible achievement. Um, and I think the last one was was probably a private one more than anything else was when you know deja vu in some ways when i got the email con um uh, acceptance or the the contract from from the cleveland clinic um to say come and join us um and we're looking forward to you joining us because um, I, I i really never thought that i would be privileged to to do that so it was that was a moment i had to sort of sit down and think hmm, wow um Maybe, um, maybe, maybe I maybe there is a bit of credibility to me in, in the end, anyway. And I'm not just, I, I'm not just an admin mistake because somebody sent me a season ticket for Man United. <laughs> it's been 25 years and it's still going. Yeah, it's longer than that. It's longer than that. Yeah, it's uh, it is it is 96 I started. So you know, 20 um, 26 years and um, incredibly lucky. You know. I, I'm 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 enjoying cricket and the work I do with Middlesex as well, um, and to to just go and watch some cricket at Lords and you know when I when I wish is um, is an incredible privilege. So I I've I've been phenomenally lucky, and you know rode my luck at times I think, but I've had such great support from great colleagues and great friends that have enabled me to do that. No, well, I think that's a great note to finish on. So I really appreciate your time and I wish you the best of luck in your dream role, it sounds like. So no, I'm really pleased that it's worked out and it's great to hear someone so passionate and um, delighted with something. No, um, I'm loving what I'm doing. I've still got a way to go. But, uh, you know, I, I always said that if you if you love your job, you never have to go to work. And I've been incredibly lucky. Brilliant. Phil, really appreciate your time and thanks again for, for joining. All right, you're welcome. Thank you.